Do you resist the urge to put yourself on mute and no video inside of Zoom meetings? How many presentations on Zoom have your pets or children photobombed? In a world that's already so lonely, are you having trouble feeling connected with your coworkers? How do you manage your employees so their productivity still aligns with your company vision? Does this mean more or less surveillance? Well, don't you worry, our new friend JJ is here to provide the answers. She is the founder and CEO of Order In, a curated community of high-performing leaders, dreamers, and builders specializing in behavioral science-backed support designed to enhance your productivity and overall well-being. And with this current pandemic and the corporate shift to work from home, Order In really offers great solutions and insights to people about this new reality. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. And I'm Jordan. We are super excited to share this episode with you guys and overall hope you enjoy. Yeah, we're excited for you guys to be here. Thanks for potting with us. Hi, JJ. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Um, We're super thrilled when you reached out to us and you have such an impressive career as an entrepreneur that specializes in the future of work. Why don't you give us a little background on yourself and kind of your journey on getting to where you are today in your career? Absolutely. Well, thank you both for having me. Sure. So over the past year or so, I've been laser focused on the future of work as the category where I think we can make a huge amount of progress. Um, I've been working on my current company order in since I would say January and the changes from the pandemic took me by surprise as much as anyone else in terms of how relevant um, everything that we're currently doing has become. So order in, it's a private membership club for the leaders of remote work. And we're focused really on two areas where we like to support our members. The first is structuring their workday, trying to help people take back their work-life balance and, you know, stick to the goals that they set for themselves. And then the other is community and support. We have a lot of data to show that many people feel kind of isolated, especially in their working life. So we're addressing these two topics. And then suddenly when, um, everything kind of exploded with COVID, it became so much more at the forefront of everyone's minds, everyone feeling kind of isolated or trying to suddenly manage working out of an environment where they hadn't worked before. So um, we're very excited to be building a solution. In terms of kind of how I got here, um, about a year ago, I graduated with my MBA from the Wharton School. Prior to that, I've been an entrepreneur in building communities specifically has sort of been my focus. So I'm also the founder of Valkyrie Collective and former director, which is a network for entrepreneurial women. And then on the venture capital side, I'm the founder of Venture Foragers, which is a venture capital research firm that enables teams of students, um, potentially like yourselves, to explore frontier tech areas and present their kind of investment recommendations to the top VC firms. Um, We presented to over 20 incredible venture firms in the Bay Area last year. So um, yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. (laughs) You have an amazing resume. I love that you have so many different kind of aspects and flavors to what you're pursuing right now. Obviously, this order, Mm -hmm. this order in venture that you're working on is 
is it in um, the website hasn't been released yet, correct? Or oh, the website's up. You can check it out. Oh, it's okay. at orderinclub.com. Okay, yeah, awesome. that is so We're awesome. We're also on Instagram at orderinclub.com, Twitter at orderinclub.com. Okay, we'll definitely have to give it a follow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Would you say that that is kind of um, what you're focusing on the most right now? If you were to kind of break break up your time. Definitely, for sure. So my full-time job right now is as the founder and CEO of Orderin. Um, but Venture Foragers is a, a huge passion of mine. It was important to me to try to make venture capital more accessible to a wider group of people. And that's kind of how we started doing that. Um, and it was also my own introduction to venture capital. I, I hadn't had any experience wow, in it before. Really? Yeah, That's crazy. I started it. <laughs> I started it in part because people were saying this is so hard to break into. As someone who knew I wanted to found a company and be an entrepreneur myself, I wanted to get that perspective from the fundraising side and mm -hmm. see kind of the other side of the table. So I tried to break into it myself, and in doing that, um, wanted to create a community for people like me who were hoping to learn. So that's that's kind of my side hustle, I would say. <laughs> Casual side hustle. So yeah. is that is that based still on the East Coast, or um, are you bringing that to the West Coast as well? So uh, we've been based out of UPenn um, and Wharton, okay. where I started it, but we are very interested in expanding to other business schools. And then the program every year really culminates in this trip that, you know, everyone takes from the East Coast to the West Coast to San Francisco to present. But we also talk to VC firms um, in New York City. And I'm not the person who runs it on the school level anymore. Gotcha. Having graduated, we have, you know, the people at the individual school who are in charge. And this year we selected for people who are ready and excited to adapt it to a more virtual format and a wider geography, especially, you know, we don't know what that trip yeah. is going to look like this year. Definitely. So for sure. There's some opportunities there too, to be more wide ranging. Yeah. I know, for example, so Chapman, a little background on the school that we go to, it's actually mm -hmm. very entrepreneurial based. Jordan's in the entrepreneurship school there. And I mean, we even have friends that aren't in that school that have their own businesses, which is such an interesting culture that we appreciate at Chapman. It's a very weird dynamic, or I guess a unique dynamic that the school really promotes that culture of student. We have uh, friends that are in bands together that they have monetized, friends that have, you know, clothing, st a clothing store that's fully operational and profitable and uh, film production companies. So that's kind of been our uh, culture of friends and environment that we've grown up in. So that's why, you know, the whole um, capital raising aspect of it has always been so interesting to me because that's a huge part of, you know, taking your business to the next level, especially as someone starting out. You yeah, know? for any level yeah. of a startup, I think. So I looked a little bit into the reports that Venture Foragers was, has it been able oh, to complete. Great. Yes, I noticed that I think three of them were more uh, geared towards AI and machine learning, if mm -hmm. I remember correctly, which I just found that so interesting because obviously there's a million industries out there, but I guess seeing that you guys um, have a lot of knowledge on that, I don't know, that just interests me a lot. Yeah, so we we pick our industries based on a few things. Um, the interests of the students we're working with is paramount. You know, what do they want to become knowledgeable on and investigate? So for myself, when I built an investment thesis, um, there were two topics that really interested me. One was uh, outer space technology and, and specifically frontier tech around that, like less of the satellites and things that 
that have already been figured out and more, you know, what do we think is really coming next? Um, and then the other one was loneliness was actually something I was building an investment thesis around. You know, we know that there's a loneliness pandemic in the U.S. Who are the builders who are doing something about it? Um, and that interest transformed into the work I'm doing now. So you never know. But um, but we pick our topics based on what the students are interested in and then feedback from investors about what, you know, what top investors are looking at as areas that they think are going to be worth investigating mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and very interesting. So we have a range from things that are, you know, really hot right now and are really raising capital to things that are maybe a little further in the future. So this past year, we had a team doing quantum computing, oh, wow. for instance. Um, it's a little bit challenging to fundraise from a quantum computing company um, in the current moment because that's such an emerging technology. But we we love to kind of have that range and particularly be looking mm. into the future. And I think it's great that that your college is, you know, supporting you guys in your entrepreneurship and fostering that environment. Mm. It's really never been more accessible. So whenever particularly really young <laughs> you know, high school and so on. Um, people do ask me for advice, you know, what should I be doing right now? I always tell them, start a company. <laughs> oh, I love that. Time. I love that. Yeah, um, there's never been a better time. Um, you seem to know, you seem to have a lot of predictions and knowledge about what the future of the world is going to look like and kind of how people are going to live. And we wanted to get your thoughts on how you think personally individuals are going to go about their lives, both from a professional and a personal point of view, mm. um, kind of moving into this post-pandemic world just at a very high level perspective sure um that's a huge question yeah oh, gosh. <laughs> we yeah, have some so more so <laughs> getting right to it it's yeah. it's so individual i i hesitate to make too broad of predictions of what life is going to look like i could never have predicted the moment that we're currently in i do think that you can never kind of you know close that door once you've opened it in terms of how we are all collaborating over huge distances, you know, virtually in a way that I had Zoom on my computer, you know, prior to the pandemic, I never mm -hmm. used it. Um, and, and the huge differences that we're going to see there. So I think that, you know, at least I'm hoping um, that we will not let geography stop us in anything that we want to do and anyone who we want to connect with. I mean, you and I right now, we're on the same coast and we're having this conversation this way. I think that's fantastic. It's a relatively small distance, but I did a graduate degree in Monaco um, and lived in the south of France while I was doing that. And after I left, this was 2012, so it's a while ago. Um, after I left, you know, it's harder to stay in touch with folks who are living all across the world. And similarly, my own classmates from Wharton, you know, they're living all across the world. And it's become so much more normal, I think, to, yes. to reconnect with those folks, to reach out to them and have a chat. Um, similarly, we see big companies. I'm sure you guys have seen this in the news. Um, we see big companies, you know, Facebook, everyone saying, okay, we're going to be remote first and we are open to hiring people no matter where you live. So I think almost a democratization of opportunity is going to be really exciting to see in terms of how we'll adapt um, our social expectations, our personal safety, 
I have no idea. It's so far outside my expertise. So think, you know, what are we, when is the next time we are going to get to go to a live concert? You know, I, I think we all wish we knew, but I have no idea. That <laughs> no, sense. that realm definitely falls more under the health groups yeah, and the health I guidelines. Let real experts on health, like tell me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I yeah. think from a general sense, anyone surface level can understand that, that probably won't be right away. But right. obviously, when it comes to work and, and the corporate world, we can't just keep putting mm-hmm. that off like a concert we might be right do- doing right now. I think exactly. that there are certain priorities and obviously people should be working. That's that's something that people need in their lives and that's something that mm-hmm. our economy needs. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I think it's going to be this is something that Jordan and I talk about a lot that you kind of brought up. I'm excited to, you know, entering the workforce and then also from an employer's perspective, I think both parties are really excited. Wow, there's this whole new market of people that we can now hire because we're not limited. We're not limited by location anymore. If we're all agreeing Mm -hmm. that we're going to go remote, you know, it doesn't matter that, you know, our company might be based on the West Coast and we're hiring someone from the Midwest or whatever. So you're being able to access a larger amount of talent that otherwise wouldn't be at your fingertips, which I think is super cool. Um, and a positive out of all this. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's fascinating. Um, I I wrote a piece recently. Um, it was really just a response to a fascinating report that came out from Cisco, which was a survey of managers about, you know, now that the dust has settled a little bit in the pandemic, um, how is this adaptation going? And it was great to see hard data around that. But, you know, we are, we are more likely to see, and this is something that I'm starting to talk about more and I'm hoping people are thinking about more entire teams where no one has ever met one another. And that's, that's crazy. I mean, it's the first time in the history of work that 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 has been likely to really happen. Um, So I think when we were first having these conversations about adapting to the pandemic in March, let's say, um, the conversations were really around, like, let's say the three of us were previously working in an office. How do we transition our relationship that already is fairly well established Mm -hmm. to this new format. And then now there's a little bit more, you know, Hey, I'm one individual. I'm getting a new job. You, you both are going to be entering the workforce. You know, I'm getting a new job and I'm this one person on a team where I'm virtual and they, you know, most of them used to be in the office together. And then gradually we'll see teams where no one was ever in the office together. My own company, we're a pretty small startup, right? We're a team of eight. I have never met a single one of the people who work at my own company in person. Wow, that is crazy. I don't even know how to process that. Wow. And to see how much you've already accomplished that, I guess that's just a testament to how good the technology is that you can still be productive Mm -hmm. even though you aren't in person at all. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of things. I think, you know, and when we think about this from, we get asked as entrepreneurs a lot, you know, why now about what you're doing? And sometimes when you are building a company like mine, where it's extremely obvious, it's like what everyone's kind of talking about, why now? But you still have to, you can't be like intellectually lazy about it. You still have to ask yourself, what is it about this moment? And we, we always get asked that. I think the technology is at a point right now where it can fairly seamlessly enable these types of collaborations. You know, we, Slack has been around forever. Video chatting has been, I mean, forever in, in startup years, right? Uh, video chatting is not new, but it's at a level where people are pretty comfortable with it. Yeah. And 
Um, I talk a lot, actually, on in my own work about the negatives. I, I appreciate the positive dispositions that you guys both bring to this topic. You know, there are huge challenges. That's part of why we have this company. Um, it's not an easy transition, but it is possible. Yeah. And it's one of the first times that it's been so possible. And I think as a leader, something I have to challenge myself to do is to be extremely deliberate about building those interpersonal relationships um, on my team and building a feeling of culture and collaboration that I can't just take it for granted that yeah. it's going to automatically happen. At the very beginning of this, I was having a lot of one-on-one calls with members of my team um, and realized it was a missed opportunity for them to get to know each other the way that they would if they were coming into an office every day. Yeah. You know, and it, it's trying to like think about the consequences of the structural way that you sort of create you know, create the way you work together every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As, um, you know, you, you kind of mentioned that there are negatives that you've identified and that's part of what order and is trying to, um, help identify and help solve and help companies make these transitions. One thing that I kind of noticed as being potentially a negative that, uh, companies are going to need to work around is that I think in the modern world, a person's career has become such a huge part of their identity, even Mm -hmm. more so than before. Um, a lot of people, you know, women weren't in the workforce 60, 70 years ago. Um, you know, a lot of people, they just saw it as a means to an end for income. And now it's become part of your purpose, part of your identity, part of what gets you up in the morning every day. And it's really these factors that a majority, I think, of young people, social interactions happen in the workplace because, um, you know, when you're in your 20s, that's your main priority. You don't you're not you might not be married yet you probably don't have kids yet Mm -hmm. um and with everything going remote is there going to be any long-term consequences of this disconnect isolation feeling that might happen where you aren't getting up every morning and going somewhere and having these random bump-ins with people uh that spark ideas or small talk and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. absolutely no i think that's very insightful and yeah there absolutely will be um i think that so we have statistics about this. So prior to COVID, again, and and sort of what prompted me a year ago to start really thinking about this issue is that we have in the U.S., they use the phrase a, a loneliness pandemic is what researchers called it. I think they'll need to change their language now. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was considered, and it is actually considered a serious health issue even. And what we found, I mean, it was fascinating. Um Only 53% of Americans, and remember this is pre-COVID, only 53% of people felt that they had a meaningful in-person interaction on a daily basis. Oh, that's so sad. I know half? it is what? half. I mean, and this is, this is when you could go to the office. Yeah. This is when you could go to the grocery store and smile at someone with your entire face. <laughs> and, you know, so obviously it's gotten worse. We don't have the data yet um, on exactly how that's changed. And then something you, you both may be aware of. Um, so millennials were the loneliest ever generation. And then they started studying Gen Z. And now Gen Z is the loneliest ever uh, generation. So TikTok. we were the worst. <laughs> now you're the worst. Um, but, you know, it's, it's worse than it's ever been in terms of that sense of isolation. 
Um, and two out of five Americans in this pre-COVID study said that they felt isolated. And I really try to throw these statistics out there in the conversation because I think there's a feeling of stigma and embarrassment when everyone, you know, you usually don't want to admit it if you feel lonely. People think it reflects on them and it really doesn't. So I do always try to throw out there, if you're feeling isolated, especially right now, um, but ever in your life, if you're feeling like I feel lonely, you're in the majority. I mean, the majority of people have that experience. So, um, so now we're looking at a different world, right? Where you're not necessarily going to make your new best friends in the office at your first job. And there are, I think, a couple of, of big consequences that we're going to see there. Um, you know, I mean, mental health is a major one. I'm not a PhD in psychology, you know, so I'm not going to speculate too much. But we do have a lot of, again, just data and studies and information on the impact that this has. And because I look at this particularly in the context of the working world, um, there's kind of two two big things that I think are going to show up in how we think about ourselves and our career and our identities. The first one is insecurity. When I've talked to so many people who worked remotely 100% of the time, um, this was again before COVID, um, there is this bit of insecurity about the value of your work. So I know that our listeners right now are getting the audio, but I get to look at you guys. I'm getting some feedback. You know, we're all giving each other feedback, but it's still different from the feedback you two give each other. You know, you're sitting next to each other and you have that experience of being near another person. Exactly. Okay. So I want to point out what you just did because it's so important. The fist bump, right? That's so important. But even beyond that, you were able to make eye contact with each other. If I'm looking at you guys, you can't tell which of the two of you I'm making eye contact with. It's yeah, impossible. You don't true. know. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. And so these small moments that if you were sitting around a conference table in a traditional office and maybe you have a coworker who's bringing up a point that you and a previous colleague had previously talked about and said was important, you might you know share a look. You might look at each other and be like, yeah, yeah, we were just talking about that just with your eyes. And there's all these little tiny moments that you don't have. And so that leads back to a sense of insecurity sometimes about, am I being heard? Am I being acknowledged? Do people value what I'm doing? Am I even doing a good job? So to do a a small story, I won't name names, but I have a good friend who works remotely um, and and has worked remotely as an engineer um, prior to the pandemic and would say things to me occasionally when I asked about work or, you know, hey, just little things like, can you take the day off on Friday so that we can remember water parks? I really wanted to go to a water park. This was like two years ago. I can't imagine when that's Thing coming of the back. Past. Yeah, the, the beautiful past. You know, can you take the day off? And these little comments like, yeah, sure, because no one's going to notice. You know, no one, they don't know who I am almost. Like no one knows my, you know, like I'm not a real member of the team almost or like people don't care, you know, about me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's sad to hear it. And I think that, again, I challenge myself as the leader. And I think it's a responsibility of team leaders, company leaders, but it's also something people can do, even if you don't have formal authority in your organization to try and create an environment where everyone knows that everyone else cares about them. You know, we know who you are. We know your name. Your contributions are important. So I think that insecurity is is the first one. Um, the second one that I think is going to be the biggest consequence is lack of trust. 
Because when we don't build these strong interpersonal relationships, it's really hard to predict how people are going to react to a situation. It's going to be a little bit harder to trust each other. Um, I'm going to fear monger and I'm sorry a little bit, but this no, is you know, something it. real that's happening. <laughs> have you guys heard of something called tattleware? No, I don't think I have. have you, Does Jordan? this have to that's do with terrible. people tattling that's- on ethical issues? I wish, I wish that would be way better, right? If it was just like, if it was like, we're seeing systemic inequality, I'm going to activate my title wear. No, that would be way better. Like a button you press? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. No, unfortunately, it is a, a slew of tools that we see some companies reaching for um, that help you monitor what your employees are doing when they're not there with you in person. So it's pretty famous that, you know, the Amazon warehouses have people being tracked by algorithms, you know, and and have their productivity sort of monitored electronically in this way that's a little bit like inhumane. But it's happening in industries where people are information workers, you know, especially now that we've transitioned to remote, you see things like, I mean, there was this whole Atlantic article on it that was really interesting. Um, People put software on on their employees' personal laptops that can track everything you type, every website you visit. So it's going to capture any iMessage that you send to a good friend, any website you visit. Oh, it can like watch this. you through your I don't like yeah, this. Yeah, no, no one likes <laughs> yeah, it, right? Yeah, it can no. watch you through your webcam and take photos of you to make sure that you're really sitting there. I mean, these things are awful. And, and we know, I mean, we have studies demonstrating the consequences. Let me see what that, yeah. So we've proven, right? that the feeling of surveillance, um, it increases workplace stress, it promotes worker alienation, it lowers job satisfaction. Um, Some studies have shown that workers who feel they're being monitored, they have lower self-esteem and they're actually less productive. Well, yeah, Yeah. I feel like with the remote stuff, I mean, there's been certain studies where some people feel more productive working Mm -hmm. from home. And I mean, it varies for people, but I think... You're right. Like trust is so important. And if you don't, that's the basis of any relationship, whether it's personal Mm -hmm. or professional, especially with a boss or someone who is higher up than you. And I mean, no one, no one wants to be monitored. We already feel like we're being monitored from like government (laughs) or something. I don't know, something like there's always like, no, every search, every search that we put into Google Chrome, it somehow connects to all of our social media outlets. I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, trust is not only important in an in-person corporate relationship, but it's also even more important now because relationships are even more fragile. And that Mm -hmm. just kind of like poses another hurdle that you have to Cover I think you because- have it exactly right. The relationships are more fragile and you have to be careful with how you build them. So I I was frustrated when I saw this and I tried to kind of challenge myself to put myself in these managers' shoes. And I understand it because the people who are making these decisions to, you know, monitor their employees, um, they have people they're answerable oh, to as well. Yeah. Like they have to make sure that their, you know, it, their goals as an organization are being achieved, that their metrics are being hit. You know, they have someone who's watching them too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that you have to be so careful in, in preserving that trust. And the best way to motivate people is to encourage them to, you know, be self-empowered, you know, to, to be able to do their work without that level of supervision, 
I mean, I'm in my most optimistic reading on this. It's, you know, okay, I'm going to watch people in case they need help or they need assistance from me as a manager, maybe. Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to show people that you think they're capable of doing a great job without being stared at because being stared at doesn't make anyone better at what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we know uh, from, from all of the data that helping people understand the impact that their work has on the larger organization. Like if you want to motivate people, show them, you know, draw the line between the project you're working on and the company's goals and why it matters and why it's important. Mm -hmm. And then tell them you believe in them and their ability to do it really well. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's highlighting positive reinforcement as opposed to some sort of punishment, which would be the constant supervision, the constant monitoring, which if, if I were in this situation, I wouldn't want that. I think that that would, that would make me, more hyper aware and yeah it it increases more stress when this is a time where we don't need more stress we need to limit that stress well what we know people do in response to that is they want to kind of cheat the software or cheat their jobs you see people dedicating time that could have been productive to trying to find a way around the surveillance instead and people are are, have a lot of ingenuity i mean they'll figure out a way around being watched Mm. and um and it really you know no one gets up in the morning and says, I want to be terrible at my job today. Like I'm going to get up today and do a really bad job. Like no one wants that. Yeah. But if you put them in this space where they don't trust you and they resent you and they're mad at you, you know, that's, that's where you start to have an issue and you don't want to foster a work environment where when there is a problem, people feel like they can't be open with you about what the problem is and just solve it in a constructive way. So um, I guess another little anecdote, I have a good friend who's incredibly talented and um, she works for one of the you know top kind of most prestigious and famous companies in the US. And when they did work from home, they gave them company laptops. And this person, you know, she she went to Wharton with me and she's she's amazing at what she does. She's so effective. And uh, there was, you know, one of the first days they worked from home, she was getting scolded by her boss, like her boss was getting upset at her and freaking out at her that, you know, X, Y, and Z hadn't happened sort of before she even had a chance to explain that the company laptop she'd been sent home with wasn't working. You know, Mm. the equipment that they gave her, it wasn't connecting to their external server or something like that, you know. And so like she wanted to do her job well, but her boss immediately assumed that she was slacking off because she was at home versus there's, you know, oh, there's just an external problem that we can work together to solve. And when you assume that someone who's very talented is not good at their job, you know, it's really demotivating. She felt a lot less trust between her and her manager. Well, that's a really bad way to start the remote transition. I think that Mm -hmm. that instantly kind of brings a negativity to the relationship. And also it's kind of unfortunate that that was the manager's initial, I guess, yeah, the prediction. First instinct. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's oh, that's sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are ways that companies can try to be in the middle ground of being able to monitor if they feel really strongly that that has to happen, but also giving the employees freedom to not feel like there's that stress or to not feel like they're being hyper analyzed all the time? Is there a way that we can solve that and kind of be in the middle? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we have to pay attention to what 
we monitor, right? Um, my dad made this point to me. It was really interesting. So my my own dad actually has a PhD in chemistry. And so this lesson comes from the sciences. When you observe and measure things, you know, just the, the fact of observing them and measuring them um, changes them. And we've seen that also, of course, in in his corporate life, and this is why he probably brought it up to me, that whatever metric you are measuring is the metric that people are going to be most motivated to improve. So it's about monitoring, and I I use that word carefully, um, the right things. And so what do you care about? What do you really want to track in your company? For me, and I would highly recommend this to any managers, it's not how many minutes my team is spending in front of their computer screen. I completely don't care. I don't even want to know. It's kind of not my business. If it's too many minutes, then maybe they should tell me that, you know, when I catch them and I feel bad even saying this, like catch them, (laughs) you know, but they, they tell me, you know, when we have, we have a daily standup meeting. And so, um, in this daily, like 15 minute meeting, that's just a check in with every person kind of, how are you doing basically is what that meeting is. If someone's like, so yesterday I did this and that, and I know that yesterday was a Sunday, I might be like, no, don't do it on Sunday. Like take your weekend. But otherwise I don't care. Right. I don't want to know. Um, I don't want to measure how many minutes someone's spending on anything unless it should be fewer minutes and they need help. What I want to know is, are we achieving our goals? You know, so the metrics I'm looking at at order and the things I care about, I want to know, are we reaching the kind of members I feel like we can help and are we helping them? And so everything we measure goes back to how are people engaging with our product? Is it helping them? Are they satisfied? You know, what can we change? What can we improve? And then of course, because we're a young startup, how are we doing on getting the word out? And similarly, the things you should be monitoring, measuring and tracking, it should be, are you achieving your goals? Are your employees Mm -hmm. producing Mm -hmm. the work that you want them to be producing? If the answer is no, I strongly encourage curiosity. Um, this doesn't just come from me. I didn't like invent management techniques you know, from everything that, that we have learned. Um, and I think some of this monitoring comes from a good place of curiosity, just kind of distracted down a wrong path with, with people telling you, you need to be afraid of what your employees are doing. Are they taking advantage? Are they just eating fruit loops in front of their video games or whatever? Um, which is silly, but having that same curiosity around, you know, okay, I really wanted this product to be finished today and it's not. I just want to know why not because maybe it's that I was unrealistic in what needed to be done. Maybe they found a problem that, you know, as a leader, I should be aware of, hey, this this tool doesn't work with this other tool. We need to find a solution. You know, maybe they have something going on with them and I think that's really important. I mean, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic Mm -hmm. and just because we have this feeling of a new normal, I don't think we should assume situation really looks like you know we've had people who have had you know personal things that should be prioritized things happen in their family that it does come first right Mm -hmm. so having some empathy for the human beings that you're working with and it's harder you have to do it on purpose when they're a face behind a screen it has to be on purpose I totally agree and I think something that I picked up from what you just said is that almost having measurements instead of surveillance almost yeah. is, is a way yeah. better uh, indicator of me- reaching goals. And I actually, a lot of the techniques you're talking about sound very familiar to me because I spent time working at a startup tech company for about two and a half years. And I kind of saw them grow from 
30 employees to 200 when I was interning with them. So I really saw them scale. And one of the things that they implemented was, I think it was K... KPO or KPIs, which K- are PIs, yeah, yeah key K- performance indicators. Yes, which I found that to be super helpful. They also did the stand up thing because there was a lot of people who were developers. Um, so that's mm-hmm. something in their culture, Slack, all these things. And um, I think that it helps people realize, you know, because c- if there's a huge company, I mean, you do have to take into account, you know, they have to meet goals. There's profits that have to be met to keep payroll mm-hmm. going and to progress the company further. Um, and otherwise there's no company. So, you know, you have to make sure that people are on track. And I think that's a good way to do it because then people feel like they're a part, their small role is a part of the bigger picture of the company. And even as an intern, I had to go through all of these same um goal tracking exercises that everyone else did and Mm -hmm. it made me feel like my role was still important even though I'm just an I was just an intern you know Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I'm I'm doing actually a a virtual internship this summer and in the beginning we it was it was supposed to be in person and then they let us all know okay yep you're going to be at home you're going to be on your computer and one of the first things that they said was okay we've got a bunch of people that are probably going to have different hours of the day that they're going to work so it's hard to monitor okay in terms of minutes, it's more, okay, it's deliverable base. If you can get, exactly. if you can get this deliverable by this time, then cool. Awesome. If it's done by today, that's it. You can take a break for an hour and eat lunch whenever you feel hungry and that type mm-hmm. of thing, because people structure their, there's days, their days differently. And I think that it's really interesting. You pointed out that it is good to empathize with, yes, we're all going through a tough year. So some people right. may, may have other priorities in their day that, um, it, it don't look at them as, um, obstructions to the work. Just look at it as, okay, we're given this opportunity being virtual to kind of construct those hours, but still get the work done. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, something too, that I kind of noticed with my time, um, at this technology company is how important company culture has become for, I mean, any sort of organization, both at the corporate level and also at the startup or smaller, uh, level. I mean, that's something that people, talk about in maybe their first or second round of interviews and they really want to understand, okay, what are the core values here, et cetera. Um, Have you done, what's your kind of thought about how a company is able to maintain that same culture in a remote setting, especially with new employees that they're, they're bringing on? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think it is on everyone's mind. I think that you both brought up important points that go straight to the heart of that question. I think making sure again that, you know, whether you're an intern or you have a C-level role, everyone should be aware of the company goals and why they matter and how your role is contributing to the bigger picture. And I think that's, that's crucial. And then I think just fostering that ability to get to know the other people on the team um, is really helpful. I mean, we we do these daily stand-up meetings because, as you mentioned, with your work with a tech company, you know, developers, it sounds like that may have been an agile environment or maybe they were doing Scrum. And I come from an agile background. So, you know, I took the daily stand-ups with me from that and checking in on everyone, you know, what are, you know, what are you working on and how's it going, of course, on a daily basis, I think is very important. I hesitated actually at the beginning of kind of this transition to switch from the kind of one-on-one meetings I had with people in person um, prior to going virtual to more 
larger team meetings because I think that sometimes people are in meetings where they are not, um, you know, it doesn't involve like exactly what they're working yeah, on. Yeah, they're not as engaged. Yeah. Uh, you know, they are. I mean, and that's something I'm really proud oh, of. They're super awesome. engaged that's on my great. team. It's great. Oh, I love to hear and that. I, yeah. So, and, but that was on purpose. Again, it was so deliberate yeah. because it's like almost a cardinal sin of meetings that people hate to be like pulled into meetings where they are not, you know, really working on that mm-hmm. project. And why am I here? Um, I made a deliberate choice about this to make sure that people had a little bit of face time with one another. And I'm also conscious of like how many meetings there are on any given day that it's not taking up too much of anyone's time. And it's why I hesitated to do it to begin with. But I want to hear, you know, if I have two people working on something on the product side and I'm talking about a marketing initiative, I mean, we're still a pretty small team. Um, so it's not that onerous to have everyone kind of around. But I, first of all, I value their perspective, especially if they're fresher eyes, you know, maybe they weren't building this thing themselves. So they're going to have a new perspective on how how it hits them, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but also to make sure that people actually know one another. I think being siloed is a trap that can be really easy to fall into in a virtual environment where what if the only person you talk to all day at your company, and I'm interested with your virtual internship, you know, how this goes, is the only person you talk to at that company going to be your own manager? It's a little weird. I mean, it's isolating. It's, it's, I didn't want anyone on my team to feel like they were sitting alone in a room all day. And then when I could make the time, like just seeing my face. And to be honest, I don't have a ton of time, right? I, as a CEO, I I feel spread very thin a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. Um, And so like, can I by myself give them the amount of support that they need to do their work? Absolutely not. And I think it would have been unrealistic to think like, that anyone's going to be satisfied with their work and going to feel good about their contribution if they're completely by themselves with just me like swooping in for half an hour to say, good job, you know, change this, do that. Okay, bye. Like that's not the culture we want to build. So I, um, with pretty much any new project that gets started, I have usually, I mean, again, we're only eight people. So I'll have whoever starting it sit down with almost everyone else on the team one-on-one and then also often as a group this sounds like so many meetings and it's really not like per person it's probably two meetings per day yeah total yeah but, um to make sure that like they know each other independently of me also as a group and that engagement um that you mentioned it's funny i think we started out with that horrible i've heard this particularly about zoom classes i've never taken one and i i feel very lucky oh to gosh. have never had oh to take one. <laughs> that, yeah. oh my, but no. do you know the the dead faces kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, right we started off with that a little bit and i really put the extra effort in that i told myself you know as a leader, this is worth my time and energy to do. I have a million priorities, but I put the effort in to try to engage everyone in every meeting and like get them awake and enjoying it. And so we went from at first these transitions of maybe these kind of blank faces. Um, my team is amazing. I mean, they're all incredibly oh, they talented. So awesome. Yeah. Lovely. You know, so it was pretty easy for me to engage them, but we've gone from that to now I have to make an effort if I want the meeting to not go over time. You know, mm-hmm. people will chit chat. Mm-hmm. I had um, one of my closest colleagues, she, her family has a farm and she was like, you know, sorry, I'm late for the meeting. You guys, uh, we caught a raccoon. Like we had to go catch this raccoon. Gosh. And I'm like, what? 
(laughs) It was just so fun though. It was so unexpected. And this is a point that I think is important. Spontaneity and unexpectedness is something that is difficult to reproduce in a virtual environment. So when someone brings up something wacky in a meeting, I hope this doesn't sound undisciplined to our listeners, but this is so deliberate on my part. If something like fun and wacky happens, I want to go with it. Oh, I will make time in the day. Yeah, we just had a meeting that was like that um, with, we're putting together a a highly inspired website. Um, It's probably going to come out towards, I don't know, maybe the end of August. End of August. Yeah, yeah, we've been designing it and we're working with um, this friend of mine that is a web developer and he's in college right now and he's going to do, he's going to build out the website for us. And Jordan, I had never met him before. I have only become friends with him virtually. And we started the conversation, you know, you know, just hat talking about, or what was it? Something random. Like we started talking about the Ted Kaczynski Unabomber stuff, which Okay. <laughs> Normally when I set a meeting and something that I've even seen with my internship, there are certain meetings where you know that once you get on that Zoom call, it's business the entire time. There's no yeah. ex- there's no extra time for chit chat or whatever. But the ones that do kind of have that flexibility, I think it's really fun and Just it and, it, with it, and yeah. it is really productive to kind of have those like fun kind of check-in conversations, see what people are up to because yeah. if those are the only moments you can actually be on the screen with another person and try to I guess have a more relationship fun um, social kind of atmosphere mm-hmm. then that's kind of the only chance you're going to get so I definitely recommend exactly. that that's what we did it's crazy that you can meet people for the first time via zoom and never see them in person that's basically been my whole summer but <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay I don't think that that's a restriction to your productivity or to the work that you can do I think we know it has an impact, but we are also building the tools to make sure that you can still have a great work day. And that's, I think that's what's important. You know, I was, it was something I prided myself on in my career forever. I was like the queen of meetings that ended early. I really wanted to respect everyone's time. I was like very disciplined about that. And now I'm disciplined still, but in like the other direction, I want to be the person who fosters the company culture that's humane. You know, if you're in that meeting and it's all business and you're not having those moments in the meeting, when are you having them? You're not having them in the hallway. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not having them over lunch. It's just not happening. I think also another thing is just creating spaces that are specifically dedicated to the human side of your employees, you know, and, and for us, we have dedicated Slack channels that are about silly topics. We also, we it order in um, for our members, we have virtual events to help people bond as a community that are purely just for fun, but we test them first in our own team. Um, the big challenge, our KPI, right, is would this have been more fun in person? The answer is often that yes, it would have been, but we try really hard to come up with events where like we're using the strength of the medium itself. The fact that we have this technology is making the event better than it would have been in person and creating these spaces where people can just get to know each other as human beings. Because I think that letting someone be purely hypothetical, like, oh, is JJ a person or is JJ like a box that shows on the screen that produces PowerPoints? You know, she's Mm -hmm. like my PowerPoint machine that I just need something from this person. They're not even human to me. We've seen an online discourse and and the evolution of that, um, how antagonistic things can become if you don't see people as people. You know, when people are dehumanized by 
kind of the interruption of that interaction and by the medium, things can get ugly. And and so I think everyone's going to be on their better behavior in the workplace usually, but you still see a difference between how you respect someone's work, respect their time, ask them for help. If you think of them as a real person versus if you think of them as just like, you know, this magical portal through which, you know, documents that you need come and they're not coming fast enough. Going back to the psychology of, I guess, interaction when we were fist bumping Mm -hmm. or whatever, um, a thing that we talked about in a recent episode in, in regards to kids learning when you're in person and you're able to actually have all of your senses be involved, it enhances your memory and your, I guess, critical thinking skills towards that environment. Mm -hmm. Although I think it's absolutely amazing that even just a tiny box on the screen, we can build a relationship from that. I do think that, yeah, some other outlet to kind of boost the engagement as a, as opposed Mm. to just, cause you can press mute so easy. You can press video off. You can press video (laughs) off so easily. Like, I don't know any, but yeah, (laughs) but if you're in a zoom with like 50 people, like I could see like you getting the camera off. Like, I don't know. I think it's, Small meetings are better for sure. Definitely better. (laughs) So, a lot of what we do at Order In is based on behavioral economics. Which have you guys taken behavioral econ classes by any chance? Not behavioral, but econ. It's great. I look into it. It's very helpful. So, I know that you've taken, especially as as a finance, you know, focus, um, traditional economic courses, right? That talk about how people make decisions. Um, The purpose of behavioral economics. In a, in a very reductive way. Um, I hope if my professor ever listens to this, I hope that she will think I'm doing justice to <laughs> what she taught us. Uh, but basically is it's kind of a study of, okay, how do people really make decisions, you know, in the real world, not assuming that everyone is like the, she used, you know, Mr. Spock as an example, like an emotionless robot who mm-hmm. calculates. One of my big objections once in an econ class was the idea that you would buy I like Diet Coke. I do. So like mini, you know, mini cans that you would buy that because you know how many ounces are in it and you know how many cents per ounce you're willing to pay. Like, that's just not true. I'm no, sorry. That's no one, not, no one not, has that like, much time to think through that. Maybe yeah. someone out there is like, I'm really looking for four ounces of soda today and I'm only willing to pay 12 cents per ounce. But I really don't think, I don't think that's it a lot of the time, you know? So there's something like, Hey, that's cute. You know, I think it's cute or I like it. Like it's really, it's, it's sometimes it's a lot more complicated. <laughs> yeah. We're not that intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, so behavioral economics is helping us look at what are the factors that influence decision-making. I promise that this comes back to the point. Um, and one of them is social norms. I mean, that's a huge one. It's one of the most important things that influences our behavior is this idea of, okay, if I feel a sense of affiliation with a certain group or the people around me, like this is my, these are my people, um, I want to fit in. And I think we have a focus on individuality that I think is wonderful, honestly. I mean, I'm out here in, you know, in the tech industry in Silicon Valley where there's a huge, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I think that's great. And you can be your own unique person, but still be kind of influenced by the social norms around you. And it's one of the most powerful things we can use in a positive way to set a good example, to set a sense of culture. So, I mean, no one would ever turn their camera off in one of my company meetings because no one ever has. Yeah. And no one else does. So even in a 50 person meeting, are you going to be the only one? No, 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 for sure, for sure. 
It's about setting a standard. I respect that a lot. I think that's awesome. And when you already have that set, I mean, people are just Mm going to be less, less prone to doing that in the future. So that's really good that you've already established that and that people are going to continue doing it and not straying. And it happened pretty naturally. We like trying to connect, you know, I think 50 person meetings are difficult and are different in there. And and then you can use your breakout rooms and have your smaller meetings. There's probably a time and a place like in a 50 person meeting, maybe you don't have to have everyone's camera on. You have to ask mm-hmm. yourself, why are we in a 50 person meeting? What are we here to yeah. achieve? Yeah, Cause sure. all 50 people are definitely not simultaneously contributing. Yeah. Well, so Ella went abroad last semester. So she wasn't, um, at Chapman, which I was. And when we switched Mm -hmm. to virtual classes, we had large Mm -hmm. person classes when we had lectures Mm -hmm. and stuff. I'm not even kidding you. Every single class that I sat in, every student had their camera off and microphone off because they weren't Mm going to do it unless it was required. Teachers then Mm -hmm. made it required, but it was just very interesting seeing that dynamic that no one really wanted to do that for class. Yeah, of course not. Which obviously classes are different. Why would you want to? Yeah, classes are obviously different than a corporate meeting, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that we're navigating it. It's These are new social cues that we're setting. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. like this is an experience we've never had before. So I think it's really cool that the the sets that are that come out are I don't know. There yeah. can be positives and, and yeah. negatives. Yeah. And kind of um shifting gears a little bit, but I mean the fact that Jordan just brought up school and, and college degrees and I know that you um went around you went the route of getting an MBA recently. Uh given everything that's kind of going on, especially with the restrictions that we're seeing with in-person education and at least I'm not sure how it is on the MBA level, but for and from Jordan and I's perspective, our tuition got raised this year. I don't know wow. all of my, yeah, only a few thousand oh, dollars, man. but like, I mean, hmm. none of my friends, like every school that they go to both, whether it's in state, private, out of state, whatever, it's either the same or their tuition was raised. No one's getting any sort of break. And I mean, I think it's different from a company's perspective where you're getting paid and this is your career and this is the only way to meet with people. But um, an online education is very different from a college in person, especially for us. We go to a really small school. It's our senior year. And I mean, we're willing to we understand where the state of everything is and we don't want to be selfish. But at the same time, your degree is an investment. And one of the biggest investments Mm -hmm. is developing these in-person relationships with the professors. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any I mean, given all that information, do you have any advice to um, you know, students like me? I've been considering getting an MBA at some point. Do you think it's still worth pursuing um, a college degree or even a higher level degree, um, given that everything's remote right now? That is such an interesting question. So I do feel fortunate that I graduated before this happened because I (laughs) watch people who, you know, one year behind me in school. So I knew them well and, and have collaborated with them and worked with them and they're friends of mine. And I feel in all of these small ways, you know, like, oh, that experience I had just got canceled. This one just got canceled. That one just got canceled. Um, and I, I feel bad for them about it. I think that it's, it's a way bigger problem, um, than a few events being canceled. I think there's a tangle here. This is not, I have friends who are public policy experts and I'm not, right? But I think that we're seeing this, we're seeing so many things come together at the same time that have been these big issues. Um, The idea of credentials, you know, which credentials are important to being able to do something. 
I think the idea of systemic inequality and access and inclusion, a lot of credentials, you know, are less accessible to people depending on oh, I totally you know, agree. what kind of resources they've yeah, had before and yeah. whether they face discrimination. So yeah. sometimes if you're like, I'm only going to hire people who, you know, went to this school or got that degree, you are part of the problem sometimes you know in saying like I'm gonna make something less inclusive yeah because you have to Um, come from a certain social economic standpoint to even get I mean to get into to pay for some of these schools and whatever everything's so expensive so so it it is so expensive and so then you have of course the student loan crisis which is another part of the puzzle I mean I think I think the question is it worth it to go to college right now is it worth it to go get an MBA right now would be a very different question if you weren't looking at decades of debt from that decision, yeah. right? So I think there's there's so many factors to that question. I think it's ultimately individual. It's not going to be the same experience. At the same time, I think that universities are trying to stay afloat and I don't want to live in a world where higher education collapsed and no longer exists. I agree. So I, agree. I would I would probably defer this question to to any individual and to you know, public policy experts who know what on earth education should be doing because I don't know. I know that it was incredibly valuable to me. I would never tell someone, well, as of six months ago, I would never have told someone not to do it. Mm -hmm. I would talk to people who are saying, you know, I'm considering Wharton, I'm considering Penn. And I'm like, it's the best decision you're ever going to (laughs) make. It Mm -hmm. was life changing for me. I mean, it really was because it gave me as someone who I think is entrepreneurial, you know, in my bones, to be honest, like I always have wanted to build things. I always have built things when I saw a problem. Um, it gave me a really supportive environment for doing that. There was pretty much nothing that I came up with. Like, I want to build this, that the answer was no, you can't. It was okay. Here are all people who are going to help you. And I think in that sense, a combination of that and everything I learned from my peers, Mm -hmm. I met some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. And I learned so much just from being around them. So Mm -hmm. those two things, you know, meant a lot to me, but I will also say that, you know, there are people on my team who dropped out of college and they are incredibly talented and I wouldn't trade them for anything. And I could care less Mm -hmm. what degree anyone has, you know, coming into working for my company. And we, um, the order in club does have, membership criteria we have a we have an admissions and a selection process because when you're forming a community um and and building relationships with people you kind of can't take people completely at random and throw them into an environment and say you're a community now like have fun (laughs) make friends um so we do know what we're looking for and i have been wondering you know are we going to be called elitist in that stance and so I'll, i'll throw out there that like where you went to school or even whether you went to school is not on our list. Mm-hmm. We're looking for people. It's three things. People who are highly effective professionally at what they do, whatever it is they do, they're great at it. People who are highly empathetic to other people and who are ready to kind of show up for the other members of our community and like be a great new friend to someone. Um, I think that's one of our most important criteria, certainly. And I think when we say we don't want anyone, the people who we don't want are people who are going to be inconsiderate and, you know, jerks to anyone else. Like that's number one. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other one is people who are super motivated to reimagine the way the workday should be in this future of work where, you know, a lot of things are changing really rapidly. We want people who want 
to build a better work day and rethink how it should be done and be kind of open to that and excited about it. So that's what we're looking for. Um, your college degree doesn't land on that list. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really awesome to hear that. I love that that's your guys's um, company philosophy. And I also appreciate just from my standpoint, being a finance major and really deeply considering either, you know, an MBA down the road that mm -hmm. it was such a great experience for you and that I definitely want to go the entrepreneurial route. I've considered, mm -hmm. you know, my a finance degree with graphic design as more technical things to help me pursue something more entrepreneurial. So I, I'm happy to hear that, you know, you have your own business, but pursuing higher education aligned with that and help progress that you know, forward. There's not only one path. It helped me. I definitely did. Yeah. I, I loved it. Um, but of course, I mean, we all know the, the cliches of the college dropouts, you know, yeah. coding in their garage. Like that's, that's, there's I'm no, there's the no rule. There's no rule book and there's no manual on how to yeah. get, how to get to where you want to be in life. And yeah, I, I think it's all about what you make of it just as this pandemic is providing companies. It's it's Absolutely. how you take advantage of the situation. I think it's amazing that one of your, um, I guess, recommendations, but also something that you're encouraging in the people that you work with is not only being attentive to the negative sides, but how can we solve those? How can we make those better? Mm -hmm. And finding people well, that are very, I guess... Yeah, just have attention to it and want to put emphasis in it. If there it. wasn't a problem to solve, we would not have a company. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're out there trying to build solutions to what we see as, you know, the biggest problems facing professionals today in terms of, you know, the workday should be structured differently, that work-life balance. And then, of course, also needing a support structure and needing community. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I think it's all about, and I think that's the most important part of entrepreneurship, in my opinion, because again, to, you know, to your career aspirations, the majority, I think, of entrepreneurs are self-taught. You know, you, it's really not something you have to go to school for and you shouldn't go to school for someone to like teach you how to be a founder. There's way better ways. Yeah. But sure. um, something they do have in common though is this sort of, I think, burning need to solve problems. Mm -hmm. You know, you see something, you're like, we can do this better. I have an idea, you know, and that's where it really comes yeah. from. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, um, JJ, for coming on today. Do you have any last things that uh, you want to express to our listeners or um, share with us? Yeah, no, thank you very much for having me. It's, it's wonderful to talk to you both. I think that for, you know, for the listeners, I think that what I would share is, you know, of course, I want people to check out Order In, but regardless of whether you're going to, I think in the world we're living in right now, what Order In really provides is a support structure um, that's external to your boss and to your team. You can't necessarily control your company culture. If you're currently a student, it's external to what your school is doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that making sure that you have a support structure um, outside of these more formal environments of people who are going to cheer you on and who care how you're doing, who are going to check in on you and who are going to hold you to high standards and being prepared to return the favor, you know, you should be doing that for them as well. Mm -hmm. I think the best investment you can make in yourself, um, provided provided you know it depends on your situation if you're just trying to survive this time that's completely normal and fine and a lot of people are in that situation but if you're thinking about your career you know and and your own kind of productivity and thriving making sure you have people around you who are your crew um, I think it's the best thing you can do right now so we're mm -hmm. here for you guys for anyone who has questions you know 
are super encouraged to reach out to me. But even if order in club is not the right fit for you, find your people and, and show up for them. Okay. Awesome. Yes. And I love the empathy, mutual empathy for not only getting people that want to help you be more productive, but just, yeah, we're all going through the same thing right now. So it's, it's good to surround yourself with people, whether it be professional or social that kind of share the same belief systems and priorities. So I love that. Um, we will definitely be following you and uh, continue we'll put your link in the, yeah. the, the description for the yeah. episode for sure definitely and, yeah and yeah just continued success we wish you that and um hopefully we'll talk again soon yeah <laughs> absolutely okay thank, thank you, you so much so much yeah, for thank your you time. so thank much you.